Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. All right, everybody, welcome back to the second episode of the Ranching Side Hustle podcast, a series within the Ag State of Mind podcast, which is a proud member of the Global Ag Network. I am your host, Jason Meadows, and with me today is my co-host for this series, Tyler Keckley. Tyler, how you doing, brother? Oh, we're doing good today, just dealing with, uh, I guess, Snowmageddon is what they've termed it for this storm i guess they're so annoying i mean i mean if there's any weathermen listening i'm not a big fan of you right now because all from what i can tell the weather is just a way to drive ratings on local television because they'll come on and say oh we're gonna get 18 inches of snow and then they'll like back it off "Ah, you're actually only gonna get six like so they knew all along that we we're going to get six inches of snow, but that wouldn't drive the ratings on TV to where everybody was watching it. So now you got to put out there it's 18 and then back it off later. I mean, I, it works because I spend the mornings glued to my TV uh, just wondering what's going to happen. But, you know, it's it is nevertheless, it's really annoying. I don't disagree. I think we started about Saturday of last week hearing nothing but 15 inches plus and all of the models say we're going to get a pile of pile of snow and it was running about four hours behind from yesterday. And so the snow didn't happen for four hours later. And I don't know, I think it's still snowing. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe they'll make a come behind victory. I I don't <laughs> I don't know, but I guess if, if I was going to have, you know what, I'm not going to step into that wormhole. We'll see. I, I got no control over the weather. So whatever happens will happen and we'll deal with it. Right. <laughs> Simple as that. Well, well, our guest today on the Ranching Side Hustle podcast doesn't have a ton of experience with that, dealing with snow. So, no, not uh, at all. <laughs> Today, we are talking to Allison Fender of the Flying F Ranch out in San Diego County, California, which to her, anything below 60 degrees is, may as well be freezing cold. So <laughs> we don't have much. a whole lot of sympathy for her here, but we do, <laughs> we do envy her whenever the weather's like this here. Yeah, I know. I think the coldest it got today was actually it was kind of chilly. It was like 32 degrees when I woke up this morning and it was breezy and I wore a Carhartt all day long, even in the house. So <laughs> you poor, you poor thing for me, but it was <laughs> sunny. We have no snow. And to be honest, I wish we did have snow or some sort of rain or any sort of moisture at all, but we got a whole lot of none of that. So yeah, yeah. You know, a little we've been jealous. We've been pretty dry too, so I mean, I'm I I'll take the moisture, however we can get it. Exactly, a little bit can go a long way, especially right. with snow. Right. So you, Allie, have been on the podcast before, um, shared a little bit about your ranch and your story, but or for those people who are listening for the first time here today, give us a little bit of background about. Flying F about where your story started and where it's going, and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, sure. So my name is Allie Fender, as Jason introduced me, and I am a fourth generation rancher. My family has been here since the like mid to late 1800s in San Diego County area. So we've been here for a whole long time, and it all started for me as probably as a kid, just growing up on the ranch. It was originally a dairy and then it slowly morphed into a beef production operation. And uh, I've always loved animals. I've always loved being outside and especially on the ranch. I have a lot of really very great memories being here with my cousins and my brother. 
and uh, the family and stuff. So it's been something close to my heart. And then uh, my husband and I got married in 2014 and our wedding gift from my dad was 10 head of bread heifers from his herd. So he just gave those to us on our wedding day, I guess. And that's kind of when it all started. And my husband and I kind of wanted to make it our own operation. I mean, old school ranchers kind of are set in their ways and it's, you know, the way that it's always been done is the way it's going to be done kind of thing. So my husband and I just kind of want to think outside the box and do our own kind of situation with our business. And we came up with Flying F Ranch because, well, first of all, it's the whole brand thing, which Jason and I have talked about before, but on the West coast, we brand our cattle to identify them. And we have to send in the brand paperwork to the state in order to be able to register your brand with your cattle. And my husband and I came up with the Flying F and along with the Flying F, we came up with our kind of slogan, which is we give a Flying F about beef because we do. And uh, we decided that we also wanted to market our beef as direct to consumer. And then more recently, we've been kind of diving into a little bit more of the seed stock side of things. So we have a little bit of two different avenues there with our beef program. And that's kind of where we are at the moment. Yeah. So you and Tyler are very similar in the fact that you guys do a lot of direct to consumer marketing. And Tyler, I'm kind of curious your, what questions, what, you know, point of view that you're kind of curious about how maybe a direct to consumer business in Ohio may look in comparison or contrast to one in San Diego County, California? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is what is the demographic of the customer base? Like, I guess maybe it's just the education side. I mean, we deal with it slightly, but we're still extremely rural where we are. And a lot of people that we sell to probably 70% have bought in bulk freezer beef before, not including our bundles. So like when I'm looking through this, I'm like, okay, so how does, I've got some family that live in San Jose and like to them, I don't think there's ever even a thought of buying bulk or like there's even, that's even an option. So I guess I'm just kind of curious on how does that market, did you, was that market there? Have you developed it? What kind of research have you done? I mean, of course I could keep going on and on, but I just, to me, it's just a different marketplace and early, it appears to be, it, maybe it's not. No, it totally never, is. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, I just, I'm just curious. Cause I think like my customers, the education piece seems so critical that I can imagine yours is even more critical probably than mine, a, just based probably on the a steeper learning curve too. yeah right yeah. yeah yeah definitely no you're 100 percent right with all of that so for me i went to college in san diego so i grew up with a lot of city kids that had never set foot on a ranch and you know them just being friends with me and kind of living through me and coming to our place because our place was only an hour away from school it like opened up their eyes they even back then were asking like how can i buy your beef and that wasn't even like a thought at the time because you know we growing up all of our cattle went to a, a livestock auction so that wasn't something that was even thought of at the time but here in San Diego, what's unique is we are a small producer here. San Diego is so huge in agriculture for how small our county is. You can grow anything from like strawberries, sunflowers, lemons, avocados, basically anything and everything that includes livestock as well. So it's just been, it's diff like the livestock part is definitely something that's not as prevalent in San Diego, which for me, what's hard is we sell our beef direct wholesale only because retail market is not there for us because we don't have a USDA processor anywhere nearby us, which actually works out okay for us anyway, because people are spreading the word. They'll buy like a half a share and share it with their neighbors or their family and things like that. And, uh, actually today I just sent out an email for my previous buyers to get ready to buy for the next harvest. And I haven't even told the public about it because it's so hard for me to be able to 
serve all these people. I have people flooding in from San Diego that I've never heard of that have heard of us through a friend or they found us through the San Diego Farm Bureau or, you know, however they found us. And it's like, I wish I can serve all of San Diego, but it's kind of hard because I only have 20 head of mom, mother cows and half of them are our registered stuff. And we kind of want to keep those for our seed stocks. So it's like, we only have a limited amount of beef a year. So honestly, you know, for me, I try to educate the public because people are genuinely interested in how to buy beef, how to cook beef, how to, you know, what the life cycle is of beef, basically anything. And I try to, you know, promote that on socials and through my email marketing and even our website. So that's kind of how I've gone about it. And like I said, San Diego is such a big city. There's so many little sub cities that come with San Diego. So it's a big place to market and I don't have a problem marketing it. The problem is I don't have enough beef to sell to the San Diego people. <laughs> so which, that's which kind of where like, we are right now. Which is like the biggest hiccup, biggest barrier, biggest bottleneck in a direct to consumer business. And I know Tyler and I have talked about this before is the fact that you only have so much capacity, right? You mm -hmm. only, like you said, you have 20 head of cattle, which is great, is a great start. And, you know, some, there are times I wish that's how many I had for, I mean, to be totally honest. <laughs> yeah. But that's the biggest, and I think what's what's so important for people to understand is the, the time and the effort that goes into what you do, but there's a cap on what you do as far as numbers are concerned. And I think it's hard for people who are not familiar with the industry to grasp that. And I think that is a good way to where how to show how important your social media is into marketing what mm -hmm. you're doing and not not even marketing, but just telling the story of what you're doing. Right. And I think people want to know who is behind the brand and who is making your food, who is feeding your beef. Like what is your, your cows, what are your, your, your beef share program cows eating? Like the whole process. I try to be very open about like, you know, we get spent brewer's grain from San Diego, from a big brewery down there and San Diego's, I don't know if you guys know this, but San Diego's like a huge beer capital in the United States. There's like craft breweries all over the place. So getting the spent brewer's grain is one free food for our cows Two, amazing marketing as well, because people think it's so cool that you can recycle this, you know, right wasted byproduct to your cattle and produce, you know, some awesome beef with it. And the beer grain is actually phenomenal for their diet as well. So it's like a really happy cycle that just happens to work out, but being, you know, open on your social media and then showing your face and even being funny on your social media, you know, that's what captures your customers. So I try my best to, you know, connect in that kind of way while also educating you know, all about the beef industry and what we do here. And so I'm interested to talk to both of you, both Tyler and Allie on this and the fact that, so I have grown up as a commodity type producer. And, and what I mean by that is I base almost all of what I do on the markets, on the futures markets, on whatever the sale barns are telling me to that I'm I, I have become a price taker instead of a price mm -hmm. maker. And for people who may or may not be familiar with the beef industry, that is a huge barrier to growth, a huge barrier to a lot of making a business within the cattle industry is so much of our markets are determined by the big packers, the big four who own over 80%, four, four major companies own 80% at the end of the supply chain. And that is incredibly difficult for somebody who is in a situation like Tyler's in or 
where you're trying to go off on your own and try to make a living or make a substantial, make a substantial side hustle, what we're talking about on this podcast here. And right. what you guys are both doing is you're kind of bypassing that commodity market and mm-hmm. making a, you, what you really are doing is you are living, you are creating free market capitalism the way it should be created, um, the way it was meant to, without barriers of trade, without barriers of government interference, for the most part. I mean, mm-hmm. we can get that, you can get really deep into Try that if you want to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, you're, you're, trying, you're, you're trying to make it as free of a market as possible. And I think that's really important for people to understand, like, but again, there still are barriers, like we talked to it earlier. So I just interested in both of your takes on that as as far as your businesses maybe being a little bit insulated to the commodity markets. Yeah. So for me, I think, like you said, Jason, so I have dealt with both sides of this. I'm very new with the direct to consumer beef side of everything. And so far it's been working out just fine for us. But as far as it comes to the cow-calf operation people or people that are, you know, selling to these auctions and the the big packing houses and whatnot, I think like with, you know, that's the big middleman that kind of like will disrupt a Mm -hmm. better cash flow. So like for me and Bryce, this is how we're, you know, bypassing that whole situation by trying to like do this on our own. There's like some pluses and minuses with it where, you know, we're doing a whole lot more work. We're holding cattle a lot longer than they would be here. So we have to kind of figure out where we're going to have these cows be finished out on grain. And, you know, there's a lot more that all of a sudden got into this that makes it a little bit messier on our end. And, you know, but as far as people that are selling cattle in a more cow calf operation kind of style and selling their weed calves to the auction yard, I think what, you know, just like the last time we shipped off cattle, we called in a a big truck to come and haul them off. And the driver that came, my dad's cows are just like a hot mess or all kinds of colors. There's big <laughs> ones, little ones, some with horns, some like, you know, whatever. It's like just a whole everything. And the the truck driver was like, you know, you can make a lot of money because we have, my dad has a pretty nice herd for this area. We have, I think he's got like 180 head or something like that. Uh-huh. But the the driver was like, you know, you can make a lot more money if you got rid of the horns. And if they were black and if they were all the same size. And I just looked at my dad, I'm like, yep, that's, you know, if you have more consistency in your herd, whether that's with, if you're doing direct to consumer beef, or if you're doing more of the, you know, selling your wean calves to the auction style, having consistency is so, so important in my opinion. And I think that will get you farther if you're like, no matter what side you're doing for the, the cow business. Yeah, no, consistency is a huge part. And I think that's what people, um, I think that's a, that's a huge thing that I have learned the further I get into the cattle business away, you know, away from the traditional model of, you know, my, my father's herd was much like yours, you know, cow, cow of every color, calf year round type of type of operation. Um, You know, so the uniformity wasn't always there. Uh, But now I'm, I'm starting to understand that no matter what we do, no matter what we do, consistency is key. And especially at the end of the supply chain, people are looking for that consistency every time they want to have that same eating experience every time that that they buy a beef from fly and F ranch. They expect a certain quality, I'm sure, or that's, that's your uh-huh. hope anyway. And uh, so it's, an, it's a really, mm-hmm. it's a really interesting business model. Yes, I agree. It's been fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I guess kind of piggyback or follow up. I, you know, when we, when my wife and I decided to start our registered cow herd and we decided to go direct to consumer from the beginning a lot of that had to do with size like we just knew selling a handful of wean calves every year just wouldn't be able to pay the bills like a side hustle should for us like it didn't meet our goals for the business so we said okay what other avenues can we go and we looked at seed stock up front and we said well again 
can we really make that big of an impact with the size of herd we have today? And the answer, we just couldn't feel like we could get there. And so direct to consumer was kind of the play that was, I don't want to say was left, but it, it had kind of a very highlighted view of this seems to be the most sense. There was a void in the market even at the time, let alone today. And we just said, well, let's, let's do this. Let's do conception to consumption, gate to plate, whatever we want to call it. And, and let's see how it can go. And it's turned out to be a pretty good ride so far. But I mean, I guess to me, when I look at your story, Ali, I, I start to wonder, did you get any pushback from, I mean, being fourth generation on or near the ranch, do you get any pushback from older generation on kind of diversifying into this direct-to-consumer or was it more supportive or what was that dynamic on your end? Because I'm I'm first generation, so I didn't have uh, my dad like looking over my shoulder telling me, well, that's never going to work. I, I didn't, at least I didn't hear him say that. And if he did, he had no idea about the cattle business, but I just didn't know in, in your space and in, in your family, if that was a, a thing that came up. It depends on who in the family. My mom was very supportive. My dad, I think was very supportive, but kind of quiet about it. Like a little bit, you know, like sitting back and kind of watching what's happening kind of thing. And, you know, these older ranchers in general don't like change. So change is kind of scary for them, I think. And for, for my dad now, he's actually feeding out six of his own steers. So it's like, okay, well, he's watching me and he thinks that whatever I'm doing is working. You know, I'm, I'm telling him like, Hey, I'm making this much off of my cows. And he's like, excuse me, what, wait, what? I, I just shipped off my, my load of 72 calves. And I made like, not like a quarter of that, you know? So, you know, I think he's kind of like, wow, that's kind of crazy. And like, my uncle comes here a lot to help out on the ranch too. And he's <laughs> like, for example, one of our, so we still have a little bit of our original herd here with our registered herd. And when we bought our registered herd last February, so it's been a year, we had three of them that came bred. So they were pregnant and they calved at the end of the summer. So it was like August time. And we already had some calves on the ground from, I think like March, February, March was when they were born. And right now the little heifers that we have that were born from a registered herd are bigger, almost just about the same size, if not bigger than the calves that were born like a couple months before them. And I told my dad that I'm like, you know, genetics matter, dad. Like, this is not like me trying to be fancy. This is me trying to like make some money. You know, I'm trying to like have a sustainable business and I don't have a lot of cows, you know, like you, Tyler, I don't have a ton, but I have to make the most out of what I have. I'm not going to have like little dinky, whatever cows. I want to have like the best cows I can have and, you know, be able to afford and make it work out. So to answer your question, it was a little silent on the rancher generational rancher end, but I think he thinks something's working. So he's kind of slowly doing it without, without saying that I'm right. <laughs> And that's, you know what, to me, that's like the, that's like the best compliment I think you can accept from somebody like your dad is the fact that, you know, he won't say that you were right or what you're doing is working or what you're doing was a good idea in so many words, but you'll kind of see him start to creep and maybe do some, like you said, he sold like six head of his own, you know, direct yeah. consumer. And, and um, he didn't even sell, sell them. I had to sell them for him because he doesn't know how to do that. <laughs> so I better get a cut out of those six head. <laughs> right. Yeah. You gotta, gotta have permission, right? Yeah, exactly. That's called a marketing fee, yeah. I think, right? Something like that. It is a side hustle. Right. Oh, <laughs> so, you know, you brought up a something that is really, so the way you guys are talking, and I think I might differ from you guys in that, in, in the fact uh, the the selection of genetics. I'm curious, and this, this is for both Tyler and for you, Allie, what do you look for in genetics on cattle? What are like your driving factors? I know what mine are, and I can almost guarantee that they're different from each of you. But again, I'm on a much different type of operation. So I'm just, I'm just curious as what you look for in, in genetics in your cattle. That's a good question. 
that's probably a really good question for Bryce because he's my genetic. Is that geek. his deal? Good. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, but for for us as like for looks, he can tell he can talk to you all day about EPDs and numbers and you know what he's looking for on paper. But visually, we want for the mother cows at least we want a mother cow that's got a lot of depth on her, meaning like she you know carries a like a good amount of weight on her. We want to see, we want good feet because I don't want my cows to be slipping around and having any trouble there. And I mean, here in California, we have weird weather, you know, you might not think so, but sometimes it's, <laughs> sometimes it's snowing here. It is. And sometimes it's like 105 here, you know, so sometimes the ground's wet and mushy and sometimes it's like super hard as a rock. So it just, it's important to have good feet and structure on the foot. And also I want to see a good brisket on her. So when you're looking at her head on, I want to see her feet almost like shoulder width apart in a sense, indicating that she's got a big brisket that, you know, that's a good cut of beef that I like to eat. So I want to make sure that is on her, which means that hopefully her calves will develop that trait as well. And then as for the rear, kind of similar thing, just, you know, a nice wide rear and udders as well is super important making sure that you know we got a symmetrical quadrant there and you know i don't know there's a lot of different things that we look for and personally i like docility i don't want a mean mom running me sure. over if i have one of those they're usually the first one out i don't they're want to gone. deal with that they're yeah. gone i don't like no matter how pretty she is like adios i don't want her so that's another big thing too. And also like right now we're watching our, our new registered heifers having their calves right now. And I want to make sure they're being good moms. If they mm -hmm. are kind of abandoning their babies, that's not good. I don't want to yeah. be bottle feeding a bunch of babies either. So, so visually and like more like on a phys physical aspect, those are kind of the things that we look for. And I could get Bryce right now, but he'll talk your ear off about <laughs> numbers. <laughs> at least for like black Angus, but he's like, that's 90% of what he does deal, on the computer. Huh? Yeah. He's that's all great. about the, the genetic stuff. And I just kind of market it. <laughs> that's my job. No, that's great. Yeah. I was going to say, obviously, I think I, didn't, I obviously didn't grow up in a seed stock environment. So a lot of what I'm doing is based on research and watching video sales and looking through sales books and talking to friends I've made over the last few years, we run registered gelbies uh, or balancers, or we actually run technically both. I would say everything that Ali said is pretty much the same minus we're looking for a little bit smaller mm -hmm. cow from a size standpoint. We want our mature cows somewhere in that 1100 to, uh, or a thousand to 1200 pounds, somewhere in there. And I would say in majority of today's industry it's a very small cow but our marketplace and who we're marketing to are not big pasture type people they're small lot people so if we can get you know instead of two cows on three acres we can get that to three cows because of size we're gonna we're gonna try to get that moderately sized but i also am since i've bought registered cows i have started to geek out over epds all of our registered females, all of our cows in our breeding herd have DNA pulled on them. Every heifer calf that has the potential of staying or being sold, basically every heifer calf outside of, we had one free Martin twin. We pull DNA on all the heifers to kind of help. We use that as a selection criteria, right? Like it's not an all, end all be all, but it puts her in a ranking. If, and if those cows are top notch and we're going to probably try to retain everything out of them if they're not top notch then we try to find another use form whether that's on our place and we just use them for any calf that comes out it's going into our feedlot or if we can market those out somewhere else but i guess to nerd out a little bit we look at the epds based on our our goals which is generally cabinies direct and of course every breed maybe uses a very similar vernacular but the numbers might look different. So we look at Cabernese direct. We do look at a little bit of yearling weight, but not a ton. And then we look at carcass traits. So yes. yield grade, carcass weight, ribeye area, marbling or fat. And, and we're doing that because we're trying to build an animal that provides such an 
excellent eating experience to a client mm -hmm. that they don't they don't want to have another choice but yeah. to go somewhere else like i don't they want to i want them to cut in that steak and be like well that was better than a ruth's chris steak that i got paying you know a hundred dollars a plate for that that is so good i i don't want to go anywhere else and so we're focused on a lot of the carcass traits and luckily with mm -hmm. the genetics that we can we can pull we can see kind of breed averages and we always try to shoot to be in that top top third if not top quarter or top 10 percent and about five different epds across our breed association to basically tell us that hey this animal genetically has some potential and then obviously if they've got bad feet it doesn't matter how good yep. their epds yep. are yeah they just they're not going to last right and mm -hmm. like i've got a guy interested in about half of our cow herd right now and it's a real big struggle for me because there are some good females in that group especially some really good young heifers but this is a right. business yep mm -hmm. and this this business and i'm looking okay well can i upgrade like can i can i upgrade trucks right like can i trade in the truck i have now that looks good functions well but can i upgrade it into something a little bit better and so we're kind of in that space now of we are dipping our toes in seed stock business and a guy wants to buy half my herd and almost all of our late summer slash fall calving cows and it's scary but yet you know again we're trying to say we're trying to move that needle every time if we're not moving the needle in the positive direction then we're probably putting those animals into our feedlot mm -hmm. in some way or a backgrounding operation in some form or fashion yeah no i'm glad i don't know if that answers your question no no it, it does <laughs> go ahead Allie. Oh, I was just going to say, I'm glad that you talked about the carcass traits and the marbling, the ribeye, all those scores, because that's what's important to us. But also like for other operations, for example, one of my really good friends who's like a couple ranches down the road, they also have a seed stock operation that is probably small scale too, like kind of like us, but their whole goal is not to, for like beef pr production their goal is to create like good mothers so the the traits that they're looking at mm. like mm -hmm. it's not so much you know looking at the marbling and all that like that's not as important to them like what's important to them is like you know the milking the milk score the docility the calving ease you know low birth weight like all of that kind of stuff is more important to them whereas for us like yeah that's important but we want like the badass beef parts <laughs> in our in our program isn't that like isn't it great though like how different but the same we all are as far as what we're looking for in a cow or in a cow herd because you know as far as my traits i it's kind of a combination of the two of what you guys were talking about I am after the docile good mother good feet i think good feet across the board is something that's going to pay the bills so my main focus is how much time am i going to spend with this cow or how mm, much time mm. potentially am i going to spend with this cow because what are we talking about here we're talking about ranching as a side hustle that means that we all probably have jobs besides ranching to tend to and so we want to have the most time efficient animal possible so for me that comes down to calving ease that comes down to docility that turn, comes down to maternal instincts to feed to gain ratio i have a rule if a cow spends more than two times in the shoot in the year she's gone you know so that's it whether that be trying to milk a calf or bad udders or uh, having to pull the calf whatever it may be if, mm -hmm. if she spends more than two times up by herself in the lot she needs to go to town because in my my line of thinking in my business model time is my most precious asset and if if something's taking away more time than they should they don't need to be here so i mean we all look at things and i think it's really interesting how different but also the same we look at the same type of animal i mean all three of us here we're birthing calves on our place Right. I mean, I think mm -hmm. all of us are doing that, but like you guys being the main focus of yours being the end product, the beef, 
is it's very interesting for me to listen to what you guys look for and for me to understand it, but also at the same time realize that, you know, I might be looking for a little bit different within almost a very similar type structured just I think the only thing that really differs with ours is our marketing so and I think it speaks wonders to the diversity within this industry and to me how there's a place for everybody no matter the size of their operation because you can Ali for you especially like I think of you know you can change the perspective that somebody in San Diego California may have towards the beef industry which you know, in Southern California probably isn't always super friendly. So if you change the attitude, yeah, if you change the attitude of one person and then they tell some friends, they tell some friends, you're doing more than it may seem like it to somebody, you know, just looking at the surface. But the impact that you can have is maybe much greater than you might see on your bottom line, if that makes any sense. Yeah, for sure. I think like what the magic is, is to share what you're doing and being honest, whether that's the good stuff or the bad stuff that you're experiencing on the ranch. Cause a lot of people think that you're kind of trying to like shadow, you know, something bad that's happening. Like if a cow dies, like, you know, I, I like to share that kind of stuff because it's like, this is real life stuff. Like this happens, you know, and try to share like, you know, this is, you know, what happened and you know, or for example, I just lost a horse recently, broke his leg Mm, and mm. we had to put the horse down. And I shared that on Instagram. I'm like, Hey, this happened and it freaking sucks. Like I'm like crying, writing this story right now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, life happens and that's part of living on a ranch or part of just having animals in general. You have to kind of like, you know, deal with these circumstances that happen to come across when, you know, the time comes, but Anyway, I think, like I said, it's just important to be able to like share that and be open about it. And I've had so many people from San Diego that are just like, wow, this is so cool. Like, I never knew that this was even in San Diego. Like, where are you in San Diego? And, you know, sometimes you have to be a little careful because I don't know, like if it's some weird animal rights activist or PETA or something like that, because there's a little bit of that down here. But I'm like, happy to talk to people, happy to explain things to people. And I think that's what is important whether you're selling direct or or selling you know to the auction or however you're selling your beef or your cattle is to be able to share your story why you do the things you do so that people can understand the purpose and you know because it's it doesn't make any sense to them so it's important for you to communicate that across to these people in a nice way that makes sense sure yeah so And, you know, um, at the end here, I want to make sure to give you the opportunity to talk about your podcast and everything else, Allie. But a question I want to talk about, and it's something I think we all can really get behind here, is the experience of raising a family in this lifestyle. There's a lot of ways to raise a family, right? I mean, you can, Mm -hmm. there's, there's lots of ways. But to me, I think I couldn't imagine having kids and not having a farm or a ranch because it's just the life lessons are so valuable. And you talk about the lessons that your kids had, you know, the, the, you learn about the circle of life, you learn about where food comes from. And I just, both of you want to talk about the experience that you have with raising kids, having kids on the farm, having kids on a ranch, because it's like, it's so incredible and so incredible the things that they pick up. Oh my gosh. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Like for me, what's unique for me is my kids are growing up on the same ranch that I grew up on because this Mm -hmm. where where we're at right now, it's the same exact place. So it's almost like I'm like reliving my childhood through them. Like, I'm like, I remember playing in the barn, you know, doing this with my cousin Mia, or, you know, I remember riding my horse and like falling off of him, like way out there, you know? So that's kind of cool because I am like reliving everything that I did as a kid with them. And that's special to me. Mm -hmm. And as you said, it's, it's cool that they can learn some life tough lessons as a young kid and be able to handle it. Okay. Cause I think like a lot of children nowadays are kind of sheltered a little bit about, you know, you know, all these things that 
happen often on a ranch or, you know, even in the city for that matter. But it's cool that I can talk to the kids about this kind of stuff and, you know, make sure that they understand and they take it pretty well for how old they are. I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old, so they're still little, little guys. And it's also nice to see that they have some sort of work ethic for little boys. <laughs> like they always want to come out and help me feed or they're shoveling beer grain around or they're walking the dogs. You know, they do a lot of really cool things for how little they are. So, and I have like this lifestyle to thank for that. Oh man, it's just, yeah, no, I I couldn't agree anymore. It's just such a wonderful way. And, and Tyler, you being the first generation to do this, uh, and I think you said there is, there, I shouldn't say the first generation, but it skipped a generation with you. And I, I'm just, I'm really intrigued by what maybe fatherhood looks like for you in, in this dynamic. Oh, to me, it's such just an incredible blessing. I mean, I didn't grow up being able to do these things. So I've always been kind of my fathering mentality is I want to teach the kids I wish I would have known or teach my kids yeah. what I wish I would have known versus give them the things I wish I would have had. And, you know, it, it is strange. I mean, we've got a, a six-year-old boy and then a four-year-old girl and two-year-old girl. And it's just... I don't know their perspective on life. It, it just, I don't know. It, it is so strange, but I mean, we had a cow a couple of years ago that she had twins. The first one was a stillborn. We didn't know she had twins for about a week till my wife called me. I was in Columbus about three hours away. I was on my way home. My wife calls me and says, Hey, there's a hoof hanging out of this cow. And I'm like, oh, man. I, oh, yeah, no. it's probably, it's probably just her tail. So next thing you know, I get a, like a zoomed in picture and it's not a tail. It's clearly a hoof. And so my, my son who was probably three or four at the time, he, he sat in the bed of the truck as I had this cow in the chute. And we have this experience of teaching them about, you know, the, the life and death on a farm and, and not to try to make it where it's numb to them. Cause you know, life is precious regardless of species yeah. type, but it's just, I think it brings a little bit of seriousness to just life. Like, Hey, like these things happen and this is how we can adapt and we can adjust. And, you know, the big thing I like to tell my kids is we control our controllables and we manage the uncontrollables. If we yeah. can't control it, don't stress, just try to manage the best you can. But I don't know. It, it's super fun. Some days it's not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no. I can agree to that. <laughs> what what day? I think it was Friday or Saturday and the weather was decent. We had had a little bit of snow on the ground and we're like, let's all go up to the ranch and do chores. And we're like, all right, let's go. Everybody load up. So 25 minutes later, everybody's got their clothes on to go to the ranch. Right. And oh, I've been gosh. sitting there for 20 minutes waiting for everybody to load up. And could have been done, we get up, gone and yep. done before yep. everybody got in the truck. Yep. Yeah. And we get up there and the kids are like, well, I want to go sledding. So my wife totes all three kids in a sled on the four wheeler to go sledding in like an inch of snow. And I'm still stuck doing all the chores. And I'm like, well, yeah, it wasn't very helpful. But, <laughs> but then there's other times when, you know, we're working cattle or we're, I took my kids several times like this fall, we calved spring and fall. And so we took them, you know, we had a couple calves born like day after. And so we took them and got to, they got to sit on the four wheeler while we tagged a calf and processed it at birth and just being able to see their joy. I don't know. It, it is a, a ball of wax because some days it's super great. And then some days it's super frustrating, mm -hmm. which is parenting. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I think in general. <laughs> In general, that is parenting in my very limited experience, but it is, it is also very good. I mean, my son, whether he wants to continue to do this or not is up to him, but from preschool to now kindergarten, when he gets asked, what do you want to do? It's, I want to be a rancher. Mm -hmm. Right. And of course me being first generation, it's like, okay, I'm not crying. You're crying. All right. <laughs> and, but it's just, I, again, it is, it's something I didn't have. But the fact that I can see the work ethic in them, 
I can see them maturing and, and seeing life as life and not living in a concrete spot. Not, not that that's wrong. It's just, we experience so much things differently. I want them to be well-rounded and I want them to understand life and death. And I want them to understand the cycle of things. And I want them to be a part of that. But if he turns out in five years that I want nothing to do with these cows, then okay, son, that's, that's your choice, not mine. It's your choice. So I don't, I don't think that answers your question, Jason, on how it affects me or how I father. I'm, I'm a work in progress as a father. Yeah, and all? so I just try to, okay. I just try to do the, the best I can. And I want to take them with me every time, but I also understand that sometimes it's a little frustrating. Like we had to pull a calf and I have all three kids and wife was at work as a nurse. And it's like, mm-hmm. Kids, you're going to have to sit in the office while I go gather this cow. And once I get this cow in the chute, then you can come out. But until then, you have to stay put. But it also gives them some responsibility, like bottle feeding calves and doing little knickknack chores that I end up doing again. But yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. It, is, yeah. <laughs> it is a blessing regardless of my frustration level during the event. It's still a blessing just to be able to be with them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. no different than a dad that coaches a lot of ball or goes right. to, yeah. you know, te- it's, it's no different than that. I mean, I'm not sure I'll coach one of my kids sports, but it, it's no different than parents being involved in their kids' lives. The fact that my kids are involved in my life is a little different now, but they are still fairly young. It's not like when he wants to go play t-ball, I'm like, nope, can't go. We still go do t-ball. Right. Yeah. So, right. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah. Well, Allie, I and I think I speak from Tyler here is you're just so enjoyable to follow online. So enjoyable to have as a friend. I'm very thankful that you were able to come on here tonight and have this conversation with Tyler and I, and kind of, we work out the kinks. We're all having our issues tonight, whether it be uh, with <laughs> animals or with computers or <laughs> with both. <laughs> all all the above um, yeah so we appreciate you here tonight talk a little bit about what you got coming out talk about your podcast which is very exciting um, and then where everybody can find you online oh well the feeling's very mutual jason i've always enjoyed hanging out with you whether it's podcasting or online and things of that nature so thank you for having me on here So for me, you can check us out online on our website at flyingfranch.org. On social media-wise, we are on Instagram at flyingfranch with underscores in between the F on flyingfranch. And then um, Facebook, flyingfranch. That's about it for the moment. And then, yes, I just started a podcast. And our or my podcast is all about entrepreneurship, ranching, and just kind of, you know, lifestyle stuff. So that's kind of what that is about. And it's been fun. I've been kind of working out how this whole podcasting gig goes. So I'm slowly figuring it out. And obviously, you know, I'm still working on it because we had a little trouble trying to get on this <laughs> Zoom call. But, you know, it's life. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> it's not a big deal. But, but yeah. And then that's pretty much it. Awesome. I don't know. Cool. Yeah. Well, that's me. <laughs> Tyler, do you have anything else before we jump off here? No, I just. I, I guess I've been following you for some time on social media. So it's just kind of inner. It, I, I think social media gives such a cool space for people to connect and learn. I mean, uh, the fact that you and I can sell freezer beef and seed stock cattle being the size we are, which is not a bad thing. I'm not saying it's because of social media, no, but that's a huge thing. I mean, like Jason, I would have a big, big part of it. I mean, the fact that I, I still, when my hunting partner, when he picked me up from Jason's place this past fall, he like, he, he's like, you've never met that guy in person. I'm like, nope. How long have you guys been friends? I don't know, like a year and a half and you've never seen each other. I'm like, nope. Because yeah. you guys talk like you've known each other forever. I'm like, yep. Yeah. That's pretty much the way it goes. So yeah. I just, yeah, it is. Isn't so that crazy? I, I appreciate all the content you put out. It, it helps me be a better rancher, better communicator on my social media platforms. So just thank you for the work you're doing. I, I just, I'm super excited to see what, uh, what you got going forward. Oh, thank you, Tyler. I just want to say real quick too. I know that we both have small cattle operations, but for the Angus association, we get like random 
all the time, uh, beef or uh, seed stock catalogs from all these ranches from all over the U United States. And the other day or like a month ago or so, we received a catalog with literally 11 bread heifers. That's it. That's what they were selling. And I'm like, Bryce, we can mm -hmm. do this. Like we can make a magazine and we can ship it off to anybody who buys Black Angus in the U.S. And, you know, that's that's pretty cool. So mm -hmm. you can do that too, Tyler. It's, you know, nothing's nope. too small. No such thing. I get where yep. you're coming from with that. But, you know, there's there's a place for everybody and kind of going back. I know that I'm kind of like going over the interview, but kind of going back to what Jason was talking about earlier. You know, we all have a place here in this business. Everybody needs to be here, whoever, and even people that aren't even here yet that want to be here, they, there's, room. there's a place yeah, for there's you room. and Absolutely. tons of room, so much room. There's so much room. Yeah. And you know, people like you, Tyler, I look up to that. You're a first generation rancher. I can't even imagine trying to go in that realm of the world and, you know, the amount of research and stress that it has to you know, involved with creating your own beef business, your ranch, your seed stock, whatever it may be. So props to you for doing that. I look up to all these first generation ranchers out there because I can't even imagine how that would go for me. <laughs> so oh. props to you. And Jason, thank you so much for everything that you do. Everything that you do is amazing as well. Well, thanks guys. Well, this was a lot of fun. I think we could probably stay on here for <laughs> for an unlimited amount of time, but I'm sure our spouses wouldn't appreciate that very much. You know, I know. I'm pretty sure Bryce is cooking dinner yeah, right now. He's, he's all lamed <laughs> up, isn't he? He got hurt, didn't he? He did. I don't know what he did, but he broke his back like uh, 10 years ago so or so snowboarding. Fits, huh? And yeah, so he'll like tweak it. Like a couple years ago, he was flipping a calf and totally tweaked his back and he had to go to like Mm -hmm. you know, chiropractor oh, know. and acupuncture and all these things. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then he'll be good for a while. And then like, he'll like roll over weird yeah. and tweak it. And so, you know, it's just know. one of those things. I mean, so he's just resting. No, I know he's not old, <laughs> but not as young as he used to be. That's how I yeah, say the back, the back thing, thing is, sucks because I've yeah. had that too. And yeah. I mean, I still, I still something I struggle with is my back and it, there's not a whole lot yeah, of it's no fun forgiveness for back injuries when you are raising cattle. So <laughs> put it to put it lightly. <laughs> no, not at all. So, well, yeah, exactly. My best to Bryce. And uh, I, again, we appreciate what you do and I uh, hope everyone goes and checks you out and they will not be just disappointed. No, so. they will not. All right, guys. Well, appreciate the time. <laughs> well, appreciate thanks, the guys. time tonight and uh, appreciate everybody listening. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.